Greetings everybody, my name is Jeff Matthews and this is the E Street Cafe podcast. Welcome to the E Street Cafe podcast, the cool friendly place for great music chat. So welcome to the E Street Cafe podcast and tonight I'm delighted to say that I'm joined by some very important guests, French and Saunders. Uh, so we have Dan French, say hi. Hello, hello E Street Cafe. And we have Mike Saunders. Greetings all. And um, I think it's probably fair to say, guys, between the three of us, that we probably have five to six hundred shows between us. Not that we're showing off in any way, but um, the fandom between the three of us has probably gone back 40 plus years. And we'll talk about that as we go along in this podcast. But um, there's certainly some um, there's some history here between us, which we will explore during the next uh, 45 minutes or an hour, depending on how long this lasts. But anyway, um, welcome, everybody. Uh, welcome, Dan. Welcome, Mike. How are you guys doing? We're good. Yep, all good. And excited to be here, as you say, the, the, the first of its kind, possibly in the UK, as far as we know. And uh, being recorded around the time of uh, the 50th anniversary of Greetings. So fantastic. Exactly. Yeah, it's, it's, I think it's tomorrow is the 50th anniversary of the release of Greetings. Um, so that's very timely. I think it was purely by chance that that worked out this way. And um, talking anniversaries as well, Dan, especially you know, for you, um, I think it's 42 years now you've been running uh, or you did run Point Blank, wasn't it? The, the fanzine. Yes, back in 1980, um, around the time of the river, just uh, quite uh, quite coincidentally, I uh, yeah started um, an early UK fanzine, Point Blank, and uh, various other sort of kind of uh, spin-off ideas from that over the next sort of 10, 15 years, and uh, yeah, it, it's it's led me to well, most most importantly, um, to meet you guys amongst many other friends. Nowadays, it's it's evolved into a, a Facebook group which focuses on anniversaries and news. So, um, so Point Blank's lived on really, hasn't it, through social media? And you've kept in contact with the probably some of the original people that were buying the fanzine all those years ago. Yeah, that was the beauty of it. About um, about 2010, I started it up online initially, just as a place to put digital versions of the um, of the fanzines. That people could access and download, and then I realised that actually it was actually quite a uh, a useful way and a really uh, a great fun way to get back in touch with um, people from years before. Just to let everybody know, I think during lockdown we we um, we started a four way chat, didn't we? There was myself, Mike, you, Dan, and our, our good friend Jim, who can't be with us tonight. Jim Page will be joining us on future podcasts. So we we decided to have a group called geezers and glasses i think it started out as something else and then we renamed it but it was just a way of four people who had a common interest in music specifically bruce and other things but we just broadened it out in the end it just ended up as a chat um and we said how are you doing are you keeping well do you have a little quiz tonight what's the latest on bruce and you know that went on for about three years now, I think it's almost been, hasn't it? It started March 2020, just when lockdown happened. We've kept in touch, and we, it was quite regular, wasn't it? We were doing it every two, three weeks at one point. Well, I think yeah, even every is. week. I think even every week to begin with, you know, two weeks, yeah. yeah. Well, we yeah. got a bit fed up when Mike Saunders was winning the music quiz every time, so we, we, yeah. we kind of yeah. stopped doing <laughs> it. <laughs> so how are you doing, Mike, anyway? I'm all right, Jeff, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a... Yeah. It's a chilly january day so it's nice to be talking to a couple of mates and um reminiscing and going back and forward hopefully yeah and, and just just for everybody um who 
well, certainly some of you might have done a podcast before or listened to podcasts, but this is our first experience. And, and when we sat down, I can't remember where this idea came from, really. And I do remember, Dan, that when we spoke in a hotel about two, three years ago, I think we were at a gig and we stayed over, and you said to me, Jeff, you've asked some really interesting questions. You should be a journalist. And I said, no, I don't want to be a journalist. But then a couple of friends of mine, who I'm going to give an early shout-out to, actually, I, when I had this idea a couple of months ago, I turned around to two friends who run podcasts and I said, can you just give me some do's and don'ts on how to run a podcast? So I'm going to give a shout out to Howell, uh, who's a friend of mine, uh, and he's actually going to be a guest on one of our future podcasts. Uh, he actually did his dissertation at university and his subject matter was Nebraska, the album. <laughs> Whoa. Now, don't we wish that we could go back uh, and if we were at university, have a dissertation like that? or choose any other album or any <laughs> around Bruce. That'd be great, wouldn't it? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. So um, I, I definitely, he's agreed to come on at some point, and um, I'll probably get him on early doors. And the other shout-out is to uh, a friend of mine called Jason, Jason Barnard, who runs something called the Strange Brew podcast. And he gave me a lot of hints and tips as well. And uh, he specializes a lot in... Uh, interviewing a lot of musicians from the 60s and 70s, actually. So two very knowledgeable guys just gave me some very, very basic pointers on what to do and don't. And by the end of this episode, I've probably ignored all the advice they've given me in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll see. So let, let's let's talk a little bit about... No, before I do that, actually, before mm -hmm. I do that, um, we're in a cafe, a virtual cafe, I know. But... Um, I'm next to the kitchen, and I just wondered if I'd just take your virtual coffee order. And, uh, Mike, I'm going to give you the first choice. So you've got a £10 luncheon voucher here. For those of you who aren't old enough, um, some of us did have luncheon vouchers uh, when we were younger at work. Um, so what would you like to spend your £10 luncheon voucher on? And there's no change given. So um, you can go for the posh. posh I, think, I think I'll just have a cappuccino and a to cheese toasty, please, Jeff. A cheese toasty and a cappuccino. Okay, that, that's a good choice, I would say, yeah. Done. I'll go for a nice hot chocolate, please, with um, uh, channeling my, my inner Swede, perhaps um, a, a cinnamon bun. And Ooh. if there's any, any left over, um, what about a little flapjack to go with it? Um, the waitress has just added it up, and you've overspent by 30 pence. So, but it seems it's the first <laughs> oh. episode we're feeling generous towards our guests. We'll, we'll, we'll let you have that. Tip the waitress. Yeah, so there you go. The coffee's being served. It's on its way. <laughs> so, um <laughs> I think I would have chosen similar to my catch. I would have had a black Americano and a cheese and onion toasty. That would probably do me. Or a croque-majeure. No, croque-majeure. They do a croque-madame now as well, don't they? Do they? I think so, yeah. I read some. Um, mm. Okay, so let's let's talk about why we're doing this. Um, uh -huh. Dan, let me ask you first of all, because obviously um, when I talked to you initially about whether you would be interested in doing this, we talked about here we are in our 60s. And um, when we started our fanzine, we were in our 20s. So for me, it felt like a bit of a, certainly for me, because I only did two episodes of Rendezvous, my fanzine. You you did how many episodes? Uh, I did uh, 10 kind of like main issues and a few other, as I say, kind of uh, spin-offs from that as well, and a couple of other things. Yeah, okay. So you kind of had a real good go getting your teeth into it as a project. I, I didn't, and I felt a bit frustrated. So probably one of the reasons I'm doing this is, is I feel like I'm, it's unfinished business. <laughs> also, I also feel like it's bookending what we did 40-odd years ago. But right. how, how does this feel to you in terms of now, here we are 40 years on and, and talking all things Bruce again? 
using modern technology versus pen and paper or yeah it, it, it kind of as you say it kind of feels like a natural evolution and you know as you say looking back 40 years we've come all the way from uh, doing everything in a very sort of very basic way where back when back in the days when cut and paste meant literally scissors and glue to yeah. um uh yeah let's just let's go with the technology streaming and podcasting and um that's the way to do it today yeah and i think i was trying to count up certainly in the uk i think there was five uk fanzines was there there was uh, candy's room point blank rendezvous jackson cage and fever the fever yes all, uh, i think all going at the same time in the mid 80s which is quite uh, extraordinary really yeah yeah and, and i was talking to um Jesse Jackson from Set Lusting, Set Lusting Bruce uh, about this, oh gosh, two years ago. And I remember saying to him that if you're a Bruce fan in those days, you didn't just buy your favorite fanzine, you tended to collect all of them. You know, so it's like, don't, you did, Mike, as a fan, obviously you, you were a Bruce fan back in the early 80s as well. Yeah, what, I mean, I just. What's your experience of fanzines? I discovered um, them late, actually. I mean, I just I, I first saw Bruce in '81, but I didn't actually discover Dan's Point Blank till '84. Um, in, the, in looking in the small ads of the NME, and that 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 uh, helped me strike up a, a, a almost forty year friendship with Dan. And I got all the back issues, and then I sort of went back and discovered the other ones. But I still haven't got a complete set of all of them. But uh, it was fantastic to actually discover that they existed. And yeah. uh, of course, because I'm, I, I've never really done a fanzine myself, although I have done one-off, um, productions like I did a, a Southside tour special in 92, and that was all done cut and paste in the, in the traditional style. But I'm more known for my writing for Springsteen magazines and, you know, for instance, especially. Yeah. for True Rockers Only and, and the ties that bind from the late 80s through to, the early 2000s, and then I've written for Backstreet's Mag and currently website ever since. So, yeah, I'm really known for that, and I've had a couple of commissions from, actually, from Southside and the Dukes. I, I wrote um, all the all the liner notes for their jukebox box set some years back. So I'm known for my writing rather than my producing of fanzines, but it's all connected in one way or another. So, yeah, it's fascinating to be doing this all, all the, it's like everybody a has a, a, yeah, everybody has a skill, and and I think you know yeah. at the end of the day, um, me and Dan were running the fanzines, but you were contributing a huge amount of content, and uh, it's no joke. I, I'm sure I can share this nickname that you have between us sometimes is is Wikipedia, because you are <laughs> a walking encyclopedia, especially when it comes to music. So um, every podcast or every fanzine needs a Wikipedia. Um, <laughs> certainly back in the day, because if you think about it now, if you don't know something, you just, you just Google it. Exactly, yeah. All, all this, all this stuff, you know, in the, in the original fanzines, you couldn't do that. I mean, I'm, when I started out writing about the Dukes, I, I wanted to connect with people, so I put my address in Backstreet's magazine for people to write to me, because that's how it was done in those days. There's no internet, no nothing, you know. So that was that was amazing, and through that, I have. I connected with a whole bunch of people that remain close friends today. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the words that we overuse but is very, very appropriate is community. There's a very much a sense of community. You know, if you go to a gig and, and you know, we, we are launching this podcast, another reason we're doing it is, you know, there's a lot going on this year. It's 2023. There's a tour kicking off just as we speak, more or less, or, or certainly in a few weeks as from when we're recording this. And... um if you go and stand in line with 2,000 other people, you can guarantee, A, you'll bump into somebody that you you know, 
mm-hmm. and you've seen at previous gigs. And secondly, if you stood next to somebody that you haven't met before, you'll end up meeting them and talking to them. And uh, I don't want your experience of standing in line is, you know, Dan, you've had plenty of experience of standing in line, I know. But, you know, it's it's a great place, isn't it, to, to meet people? That's right. Yeah, well, uh, like Mike says, one of the main things um, back in, in the day when we, we started doing what we're doing was uh, not just researching and finding out about the music, but also, um, yeah, very important to meet like-minded fans that hopefully will become friends. And that's been the main um, benefit for me o- over the years. And it's, yeah, like you say, it's, it's great to know that, you know, before too long, we'll be reunited with the uh, people that we haven't seen for, in, in many cases, you know, five, six, ten years or something, and who knows? Everybody yeah. just a little bit older and a little bit wiser. <laughs> And none the wider, probably. No. I mean, I've, I've met people, um, we've had quite a lot of experience of, A, queuing to get into the pit at, at shows, but also queuing overnight for tickets, which is something people don't do anymore because uh, yeah. you, you don't you don't have personal applications. But I've met some, some good friends, uh, particularly at Wembley Arena in 1992. That was a, 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 a wonderful memory of a beautiful sunny day and a warm night, queuing overnight to get... Uh, Front row tickets, absolutely amazing. Almost did you have impossible. A like Mike? Um, yes, I probably did. And I, I can remember doing it also, Dan, I remember this too, at, at Sheffield Arena in 1993 when it was freezing cold and we had about eight layers on and we still couldn't feel our. our yeah, I was there for that. I, I was in that queue as well. Oh, that was, that, yeah. was, I mean, that, 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 that illustrates the lengths we go to and, and our dedication, I think. You know, um, yeah. We're willing to risk frostbite. For Bruce Springsteen, so what, what more can you do? <laughs> I know, I know. We're mad, aren't we? We're mad. And here we are, yeah. you know, when, when, when my mother looked at me when I was 22, 23, and said, what are you doing a fanzine for? Why are you going to America to see Bruce and all that kind of stuff? And here yeah. I am, four years later on, still doing stupid stuff. But um, it, it's fun. <laughs> it's a sense fun. of community. We made some great friendships over the years as well. And um, I don't regret a minute of it at all. <laughs> no, no. Quite right. <laughs> The E Street Cafe podcast. Friendly chats, great stories, interesting guests. Hit the follow button and remember, this is not a dark ride. I think going back to the podcast, you know, what we want to do here at the E Street Cafe is um, just have some fun. Um, We have got some guests. I'll I'll mention a little bit about what we've got coming up over the next um, few weeks and months. Um, We're very excited, the fact that we've got some really good traction early doors really um because we're pretty well connected in the community i suppose it's a little bit easier for us as um social media people that we can reach out ask a question cheeky question to some people and say would you come on the podcast and so far we are amazed by the people who said yes so there'll be a little teaser at the end so please stay tuned if you want to find out some of the people that we have lined up um coming up certainly in the next couple of months or so um, so this is all about community. It's all about chat. It's all about interesting stories and a bit of fun as well along the way. So let's let's go back right to the beginning, Mike. For you, um, I want to ask you, what was your first exposure to Bruce's music, and how did you convert from that first listen to becoming a a real fan? I can remember all this fairly clearly, actually, because it's, it's, being Wikipedia, you know, um, I remember I was still at school um, in November 75. I was listening to the radio around the time that Bruce made his UK debut at Hammersmith. 
and I heard the Born to Run single on Radio 1 in the UK. And I I didn't suddenly have a eureka moment at that point, but I, I thought that it was very unlike anything I'd heard on the radio up to that point. And I never forgot the one, two, three, four count in the middle. And it was just something that was like fresh and new and different. But And it stayed in my head for a little while, but I didn't actually suddenly go out and buy all Bruce's albums. Because I was I was a huge Elton John fan at that time, and I was still in my teens. And Elton, funnily enough, the next year did a DJ show on Radio One and played Tenth Avenue Freeze Out, and I thought, oh, it's that Springsteen guy again. Yeah. Then yeah. I remember then I remember Manfred Mann covering Blind by the Light the next year, yeah. and that and it kind of is a very slow process over several years of hearing songs on the radio. I bought. Because the night, Patty Smith's version on the picture sleeve single was seventy-eight, and my my oldest friend Pete played me Darkness at the time. And although I enjoyed listening to it, it, it once again didn't really give me a eureka moment. But in the summer of nineteen eighty, I was in Brighton where I used to live. Went to the HMV shop and I bought Darkness purely on the strength of remembering Pete playing it for me two years before. And like in Candy's Room, that was the track that always jumped out at me when I first heard it. Get it home, put it on the turntable, and bang, that's when sparks flew on E Street for me. I, it was, really was a, a major sort of um, transformation. And it, I, I don't know why I didn't really get it two years before, but I certainly got it in 1980. And then that was a brilliant time to get into Bruce because um, the river was coming out soon afterwards. And within weeks of that there was the announcement of a uk tour so it's now you know i've been rolling ever since and that that's my that's my introduction to bruce very gradually throughout the second half yeah. of the 70s and then as the 80s hit bang there i was that's not dissimilar to my experience actually mike listening to that uh, i've never heard you tell the story like that way i kind of was aware of your timings but i remember my, my good friend mark who's no longer with us but he's the guy who for me is responsible for me getting into music full stop Mm-hmm. and also responsible for me getting to Bruce full stop and very very similarly in 1978 he played me we used to go to the pub and just um, have, a, have, a, have a drink and go back to his house for a coffee and listen to some music and he said to me yeah I'll make you a, I'll make you a coffee it was always Mellow Birds by the way remember that Mellow Birds coffee <laughs> yep. <laughs> you can never get away yes. with that now yep. so he had a, a, a brilliant hi-fi stacking system pair of headphones because his mum and dad were in the same room and he, and he put on he dropped the needle on to Dance on the Edge of Town. And I thought, okay, this is okay, quite like it. And then I got turned off with two songs. Um, one was Factory, which I thought was a bit of a dirge <laughs> at the time. <laughs> and the other one was Adam Raised a Cane, uh, which I, I don't know, I just didn't didn't switch onto that either. The rest of the album I thought was, was pretty nice, but it I was still into punk at that time. You know, it was, it was what, 78, when it, late 78, by the time we got to listen to it. So I was still very much into um, some of the later punk stuff, I suppose. I can the Bunnymen teardrop explodes into the new wave. And I still like the clash, of course. For me, um, the river switched me on. But I remember, and Dan, you'll know the timings of this, but the UK audiences were treated to two bits of football. Old Grey Whistle Test, for sure, showed the Rosalita clip at Phoenix, didn't they, from 78. Do you remember when that was exactly when that was shown on TV? It was uh, March 1979. There we go. Wikipedia strikes again. Wikipedia. Mc- <laughs> <That's why laughs> <he's laughs> <that>, yes. <laughs> March yeah. 79. So I remember that. I remember seeing that, and that kind of turned my interest levels up quite a few notches. 
And then, of course, we had the No Nukes movie, which was recorded or, or filmed in, in September 79 and then shown in the cinemas again. Mike, when was that? Well, it, yeah, it, 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 was, it came out in the States in the summer of 1980, but we didn't get it in the UK until a, around the time of the original um, 1981 tour, but that was postponed. Yeah, but the, the showing of the film went ahead, and that was, that was March 81. Yeah. We got it. Yeah. Yeah. So by March 81, we, we, we'd had the River album just drop. We had a tour pending. We had the No Nooks film. We'd had the Old Grizzle Test, amazing footage of Rosalita. And then obviously it allowed us to go back and revisit Darkness with a different uh, pair of spectacles, I guess. What about you, Dan? What, uh, what was your first exposure to um, Bruce's music? You know, my experience is actually, the more I think about it, actually very, very similar to Mike's in terms of the whole you know, delayed um, reaction. Uh, so uh, similarly, I was aware first uh, and foremost of all the fuss and the hype about um, Bruce coming to um, Hammersmith in London mm -hmm. in 75. I'm not sure if I'd actually heard anything at that point. I certainly heard, again, the same track, Born to Run, probably the next year on a... Um, um, most most often listened to on a, a compilation tape, what people would call a mixtape, of um, uh, all kinds of random music that uh, had been put together by uh, a college friend at the time uh, with just this one track by Bruce, which is very much uh, the odd one out amongst, as you say, all the punk and new wave stuff that was going on. And um, I liked that, but didn't really pursue it um, much longer and, until... Um, uh, 1978, when Darkness came out, I actually went on a shopping errand for the same friend um, to London, and uh, we were at Lancaster at the time, and bought him um, a copy of Darkness, which is what he wanted. And I was much more excited at the time by the fact there was a debut album by Dire Straits uh, a, year, a year before it. That, they, they hit big, but uh, that was my priority at the time. Uh, so my friend Neil played me Darkness, and I, I enjoyed it. I thought, yeah, this is fine. You know, it's you know per perfectly good, but didn't actually do anything to knock my socks off at that point until later on, after the um, Darkness tour had started and the bootleg started to circulate. Neil was actually quite an accomplished uh, um, electric guitarist. He could play along very well with um, uh, his records, mm. and he got hold of. Um, uh, at the time, quite a, a famous bootleg called um, Razor's Cane from the Roxy show in uh, LA, 1978, yeah, yeah. Um, which we, we all have all loved uh, a lot uh, since. And um, again, uh, just com uh, in comparison to Mike, the, the track that stood out for me was Candy's Room, this live version, yeah. because Neil played along, uh, you know, to the guitar solo, and that kind of drew my attention to. The musicianship going on and i thought wow this is really something it, it it worked for me in the way that the original studio um hadn't initially and that was so that was my moment of conversion if you like and um, then of course i had to wait a couple of years as we were saying for you know 1980 in the river and then the uk tour the following year so did you so, keep in contact you obviously kept in contact with this friend Yes, yes. Um, uh, I was in touch with Neil for quite a while. We actually tried to set up a little, you know, like a sort of garage band together as well. Um, only I was definitely, I was definitely the weak link. I couldn't really play anything. Properly. Were you playing triangle? Were you tambourine? <laughs> uh, should, should have, should have done something simple like that. Yeah, I had this theory that that playing bass, um, trying to play bass four strings would be easier than six, but it, it wasn't as easy as that. <laughs> 
Well, uh, yeah, I don't think any musical instrument's uh, particularly easy, but um, I I remember watching <laughs> a video of uh, Clarence on the, you know, the 78 version of Prove It All Night, when you got that amazing intro, haven't you, with uh, everything going on with Bruce and the guitar, and he's just there with his triangle, isn't he, just styling it out. <laughs> so this triangle ever. Yeah. Well, as I said before, everybody has a skill. So whether it's triangle or a Niels Lofgren guitar solo, it doesn't really matter. You know, everybody's got a skill. <laughs> or Monopoly, yes. <laughs> yeah. Would have been really funny, though, if you would have said to him, right, Candy's Room, that's great, Neil, but I want to hear Jungle Land now, full band version. From <laughs> <laughs> under the bed. <laughs> be quite he nice. would probably have had a go at the solo. <laughs> yes, I know, I know, I know. Um, one thing I just want to do, just, um, by the way, the coffees have arrived, so right, open, sorry, hot chocolate and your cappuccino is okay, and uh, just give a minute for the toasty to cool down, if you don't mind. It's um, probably a good idea. Yeah. We don't take any responsibility for burnt tongues, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what I want to do is just say, um, for those of you listening, thank you very much. It means a lot to us that you are listening, and certainly um, you're, you're still listening from the start. <laughs> That's always a win-win for us. Um, but also, wherever you're picking up your podcast, whether it be Spotify, Apple, or, or Google, please, please, please click on uh, the follow button. And that means that every time we get an episode, it should drop onto your uh, Spotify or wherever you listen to. And um, uh, please be aware, we have got some amazing episodes lined up. I'm not just saying that just to keep you interested. I'm saying it because we genuinely know that we've got some brilliant guests lined up as well. And... Uh, I just don't, I don't know whether I should say any more about the guests. Uh, what, what do you think? Should we should we tell or drop a few little hints in? Do you think? Oh, I think a hint would be good, Jeff. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Well, the first thing I'll say to you is that only today um, I've booked the legendary uh, photographer Frank Stefanko in. Um, so we'll be recording a conversation with Frank. Um, in the next few weeks, and we expect that to go out probably sometime at the end of February. Uh, we're still not sure when this episode will go out. I'm hoping the end of January, but we'll see. Here we are on the 4th of Jan, and I haven't got a clue, neither of Mike or Dan, on how to edit this, should it need an edit, but it will, I'm sure. <laughs> um, so we've got to allow ourselves a little bit of leeway on how to edit this down or or into a better shape. But um, polite reminder, please do follow us and uh, it will keep you interested. So we have got Frank coming on. We know we've got lots of questions for him. He has such a an amazing insight uh, and friendship with Bruce over many, many years from, you know, 1978 right up to the present day. And um, Bruce calls him a, a close friend. So we're very interested in what Frank has to say. And I think the other one I will drop in for now is um, we've had agreement from Dick Wingate um, to come on and record a podcast with us in the next couple of weeks. Uh, for those of you who don't know what uh, Dick has done and what he, he, he does, uh, I won't say too much other than the fact that he was ultimately responsible for keeping the record company interested in Bruce in the, in the 70s when the record company was about to lose faith in him. Um, he was the one saying, you've got to keep this guy. Um, he did a lot of publicity work around darkness as well. And uh, again, we will have a very, very interesting um, episode with Dick where we can have a great chat with him and we can open up his uh, his knowledge and stories that he has and share with us and, and, and with you. So we're very looking forward to um, those conversations. And we have 
more as well. We have a lot more guests that we have lined up. Some of them will be big names that you, you will know. Some of them will just be people that we know would like to share interesting stories. And I think one thing I'd like to do, um, certainly would we'll, we'll want your input on this one, Dan. We talked earlier about fanzines and how we all came together, I suppose, through the, the power of the fanzine. And one interesting thing uh, I thought we could do is, is dedicate one episode to fanzines, the history of fanzines. And, you know, we can get the likes of Paul on or Dave, uh, Paul and Dave, um, because fanzines were important in the day. But I, I believe, and, and again, you guys will probably know more than me, but there's an archive somewhere, isn't there, where all fanzines are, are kept. Um, so there is a, the history has been stored. Would yes, you know? I believe the, um, uh, the the special collection, as, as I still call it, but it's the, the Springsteen Archives uh, at Monmouth University, headed by Eileen Chapman, uh, has yeah a, a dedicated section to um, not just not just books and magazines, but but specifically fanzines, and uh, I think there are probably still some that she's trying to hunt down. So uh, we're always on the lookout for um, missing links there, and. Uh, as you say, yeah, I, I, I think it's probably worth uh, having a closer look at that because it, it's not just a, an interesting bit of history, but it is the uh, kind of common denominator that we all started from. And we, took, we talked a lot about, you know, um, how we put them together. You know, putting this podcast together now is just three middle-aged men with a microphone and a phone or a laptop or wherever talking and rambling on. Um, but in those days, it was stamped address envelopes. It was letters. Yeah. It was postal orders. It was sets. It was stealing a, a five minutes on the work photocopier, um, stapling <clears> together <throat> at half past five when everybody had gone home and your boss wasn't watching. It was all of those things. And, and it was very romantic at the time and very sneaky. But it was, for me, it was non-profit making. It was a bit of fun, but it felt like a bit of a side hustle really, <laughs> from my day job. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, were great I, 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 I think we should definitely have, have a, a fanzine special maybe one time and uh, we can have um we can trip back into nostalgia land and talk about all the fun things that uh, maybe you did as well dan when you were putting your fanzine together and how it all started so we'll we, we have to do that the e street cafe podcast friendly chats great stories interesting guests hit the follow button and remember this is not a dark ride so let, let's take a massive leap forward um the time this goes out, um, I suspect that we're just a few days off or a week off the first date of the 2023 tour. And he's kicking off in Florida, I think, isn't he? First mm. date, first of Feb. Um, and he's in Florida, if I remember rightly. So, Mike, t- talk to me about what your expectations or hopes are for, the, for this tour in terms of length of set, what the base set might be, the set list might be. So, okay, what you hope for might be different to what you expect. But um, I know, yeah. Well, I mean, obviously, I think uh, if we're going to discuss the tour that way, we should just park uh, uh, people's uh, concerns about the the ticket sales uh, for another, for perhaps another podcast. But to us and my expectations, well, um, it's interesting because it's nearly seven years since the last time he was out, and. Um, you know, as much as we'd love him to uh, to do four hour gigs, uh, I doubt that's ever going to happen now. Um, so expectations in terms of length, um, I think he might be able to manage three hours, but possibly not every night. But who knows? You know, but can the band? Who knows? But 
Set list wise, well, we certainly hope that quite a lot of Letter to You is included, and he has suggested that mm. that will be the case because he's pretty much said it will be a rock and roll tour. So he's got to include a, a big chunk of that album. I hope each night that would be that would be great for me. And although he's he's pretty much indicated that he won't be doing an awful lot of Western stars. I hope that changes as the course of the tour goes on. You know, I really hope he does include some of that because um, for me and many others, it's one of his, his best albums ever. So it's, it's shame, it would be a shame for him, for him to ignore it. I mean, it's not an out-and-out rock and roll album, yeah. but it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's an absolute classic album in, in, as far as I'm concerned. So I do hope, as we know, tours develop and change uh, all over, so he may well bring in some of that. Who knows? But in terms yeah, of the older material, the older material, um, he's got, I mean, there's, he's got to include a certain amount of great hits, obviously, um, because um, a lot of the crowds coming to these shows won't won't be hardcore fans like us. So he's, he's got to, as it's always the case, and particularly over here in stadiums, uh, a lot of the crowd will just be casual fans. So he's got to do, a, a, you know, a degree of greatest hits. I hope he, he doesn't you know, do a lot of predict, predict, predictable ones. He might swap them round a bit. I don't know. Who knows? But he, we know for a fact that there will be a certain amount of um, greatest hits there. Uh, we also know from the past that he varies the set as after the first 20, 30 shows, he, he likes to bring other material in. That's so quite rigid, doesn't it? You know, first 10 shows yeah. and find the fees. And, and I read somewhere recently that uh, the Street Band had been sent a sample set list by Bruce... Yeah, I think the, the other the other good good news. But I mean, some people may not agree with this, but the, the other good news for me, at least, is that there will be a horn section on stage because that's always yep. been one of my my loves, the horn section. Hence my all the work I've done about Southside Johnny, um, who have an incredible horn section over the years. But yeah, I, I've always enjoyed Bruce having a horn section. Um, some some prefer the the E Street Band only, um, but I do I do like to have a horn section. And it was great in 2012-13. So mm. that that it will be interesting to see how that develops. What songs you know come to the fore in terms of horn arrangements and whatever. So yeah, that, um, it's a lot. There's many reasons I'm looking forward to this tour. You know, particularly because it's been such a long time. It's been one of the longest gaps between tours um, in his history. Yeah, I think, you know. yeah, yeah. 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 So that's that's, yeah, that's, yeah. that's my immediate thought off the top of my head. Yeah, and I suppose just set, building what you just said there, Mike. I suppose the bigger the band, the bigger the sound they can create, and the more it, it, yeah. expansive set list they can develop over time. You know, it's, it's well, if yeah, they were going yeah. out a standard five, six, seven piece band, then the set list might have to be a bit narrower. But if you've got a big band with fifteen, sixteen people in it, all of a yeah. sudden, you know, you you can turn up one night, and if Bruce is feeling very loose and saying, "Right, we're throwing in some outtakes, or we're throwing in some of the yeah. first, second album," they they can do it. And the yeah. band kind of, you know, if one or two of them are slightly behind the pace, they can pick it up as they go along. That's the way they are. That's the quality of these these musicians, I suppose. But, uh, yeah, yeah. What about yeah. you, Dan? What, what are you? What's your thoughts on twenty twenty three and the tour? Yes, uh, very much like like Mike's. To be uh, uh, to be fair, and uh, yeah, as you say, here we are. You know, ten years after the Wrecking Ball tour, the, the effectively two year tour that it was, um, and. Um, very excited that it's going to be um, what Bruce at least once or twice referred to as the E Street Orchestra, which is uh, the expanded band. I think it was uh, was uh, Little Stephen who said that he, he loved that because it meant that 
it gave them just, you know absolute versatility they had the they could do um anything ranging from bruce just solo acoustic to you know the the full works the full band uh firing at all cylinders and uh uh, I still hold out hope that he might even add, or that, I'm not sure if this has been confirmed yet, but there's always the chance he might add, add uh, strings as well as horns and singers. Would love that. And that that just makes it absolutely perfect. It means that you can do um, really any, anything at all, especially given the recent material, as we know, which is heavy on horns and strings. He's so, going to need a bigger stage. He's going to need a bigger stage. That's right. So, um, <laughs> but. Yes, the, the the tour will definitely evolve uh, as it goes on, which it always does, especially because, uh, as we've said, it starts uh, indoors and then it, it heads outdoors in the summer. Always the same pattern there, so that's inevitable, um, which is fine because you know uh, we'll be obviously following the news as it as it uh, goes along, and um, I always enjoy hearing um, about uh, rarities and surprises and things, even if it's sure. if I'm not actually there myself. So that's um that's always exciting and yeah who knows uh, i always have a uh, a long list of uh, a kind of wish list of, uh, of rarities but they're getting more and more obscure as time goes on so i not i don't realistically hold out hope for a lot of those but i would like to hear like mike said a, a good chunk of uh well any of the, the, the last three albums which, which, which if, if somebody said to you now because i've seen this list of rarities that you have if somebody said mm-hmm. to you what's the one off that list that you really would pay top dollar for? Uh, as far as I remember, there were a couple sort of kind of more or less neck and neck, and neck at the top, but uh, an example I've always really, really loved, and it's very, very rare, is uh, Lift Me Up, yeah, which yeah. Uh, I think he's only done a handful of times, uh, most memorably on the, um, uh, the Devils and Dust tour, when that was... Um, a kind of setup which gave him the versatility to do anything he wanted, and that's why the set lists there were so uh, um, amazing at times. I can just real... imagine him packing up his uh, his uh, gear for the tour, you know, Fender, check, tight underpants for Lift Me Up, check. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as, as you say, Dan, it's a falsetto song, and whether he can hit that. Yeah. Well, that's the big question. Yeah, a few years yeah. ago, um, yeah, would have been no doubt he, he could easily have done that. But I'm thinking about some of the songs on the most recent album. Uh, there are, there's a couple of high notes here and there, but it does require um, a bit more, you know, sort of sustaining that a bit more to do a song like that justice. So I'm not holding out much hope for that. But, but I'll just welcome he, he, He's saying that his voice is mature. You know, he's obviously focusing purely on singing. What we're finding now is with the new album, he, he's expanding his vocal style a lot and whether he carries that into a live performance we'll have to wait and see but um you know it's an interesting point you know how how many songs will we see off the new album with the horn section i think it will give him the ability to actually do that mm, um, i'm think i'm thinking that he, he said he said he will do one or two or three uh, and i think the obvious best place for those um would be in the encores personally, because that's the kind of stuff he's done in encores in the past all the time. Um, so we'll see how that develops. I mean, he may, he may enjoy doing that material and include more as he goes along. Yeah, and I suppose there's an argument as well. If, if you're... I, I, don't, I don't know. My, my, my expectations are... I've, I've been thinking this a lot recently. You know, E Street Band in stadiums, you know, we, we've debated this before. before about, is it the best way to see Bruce? No, it's not. But mm-hmm. what we have got this time is we've got three new albums you know, and 
whether he throws in six songs or ten songs or three albums, it doesn't matter. We're hearing new songs for the first time with the mm. band. Uh, and we should count ourselves lucky that we're still here and we're, we're listening to him and he's still performing and able to perform. So it's kind of yeah. you know, we're counting our blessings, aren't we, for sure, that we're, we're able to do it and see it. And, and and speaking, speaking as, you know, uh, you know, one of us uh, oldies um, who, like, who, who really enjoy the, the rarities to a huge degree because uh, we, we know they exist to start with. A lot of the newer fans don't. But, yeah, I mean, uh, that's what you want. I hope I would hope that it would be nice to think that 50% of the set would be fairly new to everybody. Yeah. But, um, we'll yeah. see. We'll see. That's quite a high figure. Signs disappear. We don't want to see yeah. too many signs, do we? Well, you know, I, I think, well, last time around, he wasn't really paying too much attention to the signs, I don't think. So I think I think that's mm. probably finished now. But um, yeah. you, know, you might get the occasional one. Yeah. Well, the, the signs that actually can really serve a, a purpose. I mean, I well, know yeah, a, sometimes they're a bit predictable. It's a bit unnecessary to have a sign, something that you're fairly certain he would play. You know, on the road. Yeah. But I mean, there are many examples where we've had absolute gems. Uh, I, would, mm. I would always defend this. Uh, come thanks to signs. I mean, for example, the first one that comes to the top of my head is we probably wouldn't have had higher and higher at Helsinki. Mm. in 2012 if it hadn't been for one guy holding up a sign for higher and higher yeah go. yeah yeah and i certainly remember uh leeds wrecking ball leeds arena 2013 again mm. um i think he just went absolutely crazy five six songs including thundercrack uh secret garden was played for somebody with a sign if i remember rightly yes and that's to this day is, is still one of my favorite gigs it's certainly of the modern era anyway so mm. So, yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. So one thing I'd like to do, if anybody's listening who's going to any of the early shows in the first couple of weeks of the tour, if you get in touch with us uh, at the E Street Cafe podcast and you can share your experiences with us and really whet our appetite um, for the forthcoming tour. And, and what's your first show, guys? What, which, which is the first one you're going to? Oh, we're going to Barcelona, aren't we, Mike? Oh, right. That's right. Yeah, I couldn't what work out the secret. That's early, isn't it? That's uh, is that end of April, beginning uh, of May. End of April. Yeah, yeah, cool. About my birthday. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and the first uh, yeah. first European shows, so it made yeah. sense to sort of lovely. You know, yeah, uh, obviously, firstly, catch the beginning of the of the tour over here, and it's a place that has uh, fond memories for us because we uh, caught the beginning of the reunion tour back in nineteen ninety nine. Mm. There. Yeah, absolutely. I remember. Yeah. We were there. We were there for the beginning of the of the of the reunion tour in Barcelona, and we were there for the end at Madison Square Garden. That was that was fantastic. Yeah, good. Uh, just want to say thanks to Dan and Mike for joining us at the East Street Coffee Podcast. Uh, it's been great fun. Dan's coffee is still warm. I can tell he's drinking it in his uh, Bruce mug. But to finish off, guys, a, a little bit of fun I want to try with you both. And um, if it works well, we'll keep on doing it. If it doesn't, I'll drop it. But um, it's called the East Street Shuffle. And um, effectively, I've got 10 random questions. It's really one-word answers or so. So it's quick fire, And I'm going to give you uh, three choices each. And effectively, you just have to give me a very, very quick answer. And I'm going to try this with some of the guests as well we have on and see if we can uh, get some fun. So, um, Mike, do you want to pick a number between one and ten? Three. Right. The choice is mm. bottom line, 75, or Broadway. Bottom line, 75, because I wasn't there. Ah, yeah, that's a no-brainer for me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, Dan, pick a number. Uh, let's go for number seven. Would you rather see the E Street Band in a stadium 
or Bruce in a solo gig in a large theatre? Oh, no contest. Solo in a large theatre. Yeah, yeah. I thought you'd say that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Bruce, number two, orders, what would you like? Number five, I think. Number five. Okay. It doesn't have to be a Bruce question, this one, but your favourite album of 2022? Oh. Any album. Doesn't have to be a Bruce album. Well, um, no. I mean, there were several, there were several contenders, but currently uh, I am playing an awful lot of uh, a band called The Big Moon, who are all female, okay. and um, okay. it's a really good album. Okay, I, I don't know, but I'll check it out. If it's one of your favourite albums, it's got to be good. Check them out, but there's probably ten others that I could name, but that's yeah. the one that I'm currently still playing a lot of. Uh, Dan? Let's go straight to uh, ten, last question. Oh, look, you, you've got a multiple, well, not multiple choice, choice of two again. Born in the USA... Or Born mm. to Run? Born to Run. Yeah. Good man. <laughs> That's where I started. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, Mike. Um, nine. Nine. Well, I'll, give you, I'll give you number four. Okay, you got number right. four. You're stuck on a desert island. You can take one Bruce album with you. Which one would it be? Um, I, why. I just need to know which album. Well, it would be Darkness because that's what kicked it all off for me. Yeah. So it, it remains special for that reason. And uh, apart from being a great album anyway, but it has all kinds of connotations attached to it and, uh, and uh, yeah. connections to my life. So that would have to be that one, yeah. Dan, you can have number six or number eight. Eight. If you could be any member of the E Street Band for one night, who would it be? Jake Clemens. Jake Clemens. <laughs> <laughs> for those of you listening on the podcast not having the benefit of video he could carry it off very well indeed don't know that joke um bruce did a radio broadcast in 73 uh it was right when he was releasing his first album wasn't it so it's 50 years ago this week he did did a broadcast and um, he got asked by the DJ to introduce the band. <laughs> and he introduced the band. He got round to Clarence and he said, and this is Clarence, he's my brother. And somebody <laughs> said, you can't say that. And Bruce says, yes, you can. I'm on radio. Nobody knows. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> so that right. was hilarious. That was hilarious. <laughs> so, um, so for this episode, I don't know if this is going to be a pilot, whether it'll ever see the light of day or, or whether it's going to be episodes one. I, th I, th I think we've kind of, held it together reasonably but we'll, we'll have a look at the viewing figures and see what feedback we get <laughs> um so hopefully this does get out hopefully um those of you who are listening did enjoy it um once again thank you very much we do appreciate that we've um we've held your attention for so long you've had a little laugh along the way hopefully you made a coffee and joined us um this is all about as i say community it's all about fun it's about stories interesting guests so whether you are standing in line in a few weeks' time with your headphones on and you can tune in to us and have a laugh, that would be great. If you drive into a concert, stick us on, listen to us, or whether you're just at home with a cup of tea or a cup of coffee, have a listen to us, tell your friends, hit that follow button and um, stay in touch with us and um, let us know what you think. Leave us a review as well. So um, all it remains for me to say is, Mike, thank you very much for joining us. Hopefully you had a good time. It's nice to nice to be sitting in Sleepy Jeff's Cafe. <laughs> oh, I know. I've had a coffee. I'm fine. <laughs> Dan, hopefully you've enjoyed it too. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for having us. And um, as you say, yeah. let's hope uh, this is just the beginning of, uh, of something big. Yeah, lovely. Great. 
And uh, we'll catch up very soon. And thanks very much to everybody for listening as well. Thank you. Thank you for listening. And don't forget to hit that follow button. This podcast was brought to you by Geezers in Glasses Productions.